Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop In CEO brand, and I am grateful you've joined us for another amazing episode where week after week I get to speak to great leaders who share their insights with you and in the process, hopefully inspire you. And if you love this episode, and I know you will, please subscribe, rate, review, download, tell others, bring this great resource to people in your network. This allows us to continue to create great programming. And just know I am here to help the C-suite leader of today and tomorrow navigate your challenges with confidence. And today, I am so grateful that I am introducing my guest, Peter Mann, who is the CEO and founder of a Virginia-based Aransi, a leading air purification company known for its efficient, intuitive, and reliable products for consumers, schools, organizations, and businesses. And there's so much in his bio, but he also went to college on a Navy ROTC scholarship and served four years, including a tour in the Red Sea during the first Gulf War. And also an interesting fact, we'll get into this, he is late diagnosed autistic and now advocates for autism awareness in the workplace. Can't wait to get into this. Peter, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much. Excited to be here, Deb. So I am too. And just a bit for my listeners, I have the good fortune of people saying, hey, Deb, you might want to interview this person. And when I looked at Peter's <laughs> background, I said, oh my, he is a senior leader, C-suite leader, CEO of his own small or medium-sized company. And I just love, love, love hearing their stories about their beginnings and how they've achieved success and also through people. So this is going to be an amazing story. Peter, tell us a little bit about yourself personally, as well as the journey that you've been on. Sure. Yes. I live in Virginia with my wife. It's just us. I have two boys, but they're older now. And so it's kind of empty nesters <laughs> at this point. You know, as you mentioned, I went to college on a Navy ROTC scholarship. I did four years in the Navy. And then after that, I spent 10 years working at two Fortune 100 companies, Tech Data and Dell. I never thought I would be an entrepreneur or get into business at all. And, but that 10 years and working those two companies was basically my on-the-job MBA. And then what happened was I was at Dell in the early 2000s, and this was the dot-com bubble burst. And I always wanted autonomy and, and always dreamed of being an entrepreneur, but I didn't have the confidence. And the awfulness of the dot-com bubble burst and having to let people go every couple of weeks was, was, was the push that I needed to get started. And so I co-founded an e-commerce business with uh, another guy in Austin, Texas, and did that for six or seven years and sold my part of the business. And I used the funds to start Aransi. The reason why I was so passionate about air quality or air purifiers was because my son, when he was an infant, struggled with asthma. You know, I just wanted to help him and, and people like him. So that's kind of driving force <laughs> behind what I do. 
So the interesting thing is, and again, this is just you and me having a conversation. Our listeners get the benefit of listening in, but there's so many commonalities between us. I've got three children and two are out of the nest, one still in college. So I understand what it's like to have a little bit of freedom, but obviously still very, (laughs) very close to our children. And then certainly appreciate the military. My husband was in the Air Force. My son is currently in the Army. My brother-in-law in the Navy, noble work, and certainly a great place to build a career or learn great skills. The one thing I've never shared with anybody on this platform is I too had asthma as a child. I had asthma, terrible time breathing, never really knew what the root cause was, ultimately outgrew it, but always a weakness if I do get sick. I do get sick mostly in my chest, but it is very challenging. And I can't even know or understand how challenging it might've been for your son as well. I mean, how, how bad was it at times? Yeah, I mean, he would change color and oh just wasn't breathing. <laughs> and and then they give you albuterol, which is the steroid, which just made him violent. Like, I, I don't know how many pairs of glasses I went through when he was just, you know, oh, kind no. of trying to hold them in. <laughs> and I mean, it was just kind of alarming to watch just how much he struggled with it. It just, you know, left a mark in me that I'll just never forget. (laughs) Yeah, these origin stories are so, so interesting because sometimes, you know, we will form our own company just like I have as well. But sometimes in the process, you realize either something that you forgot or you rediscover something in yourself that serves a greater purpose. And that's just a quick lesson for my listeners is we may be trudging through our careers or our business. And we always ask them to pause and reflect and think about, do I love this work? Is there something else I could be doing that I'm more passionate about and more purposeful? Let's go into your business a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about that journey. Again, you formed it, but I'm sure it wasn't cruising along at the get-go. Tell us a little bit about that business journey. Yes, I started in 2009 and it was just me at (laughs) at the beginning. You know, at that time, I had some relationships with some factories over in China, and I, you know, took some trips over there, developed relationships, and really to get started was more or less just putting a brand name on already developed products just as a way to get started. And then, you know, as things progressed, what I found is we're basically marketing and selling the products and, and also doing the customer service and getting customer feedback. And then from that, kind of became clear we need to make this kind of a product with these features and and, you know and I hired a design firm and then we just kind of built these products from scratch and through the 2010s I was contract manufacturing those either in China or through another company in Connecticut but now it's kind of gone to a whole nother level with COVID. COVID just kind of just blew this market up because it was very much a niche market there weren't a lot of competitors and it's completely different now the market's much bigger, but there's so many brands in the space. Like everybody and their brother kind of became an air purifier manufacturer during COVID. You know, like a lot of people selling the N95 masks and, you know, no one saw this pandemic coming. So it completely changed things. But for us, it was it was great in terms of revenue growth. And as part of that, it, it kind of got me to where I've always wanted to be. And that is to manufacture our own products and have complete control over the process. Because that was a real challenge during COVID is you don't control the complete supply chain. The ocean carriers were just gouging people you know, to get products. And now there's tariffs on imports. And so it's like this great opportunity through a relationship I developed with some folks in Virginia several years ago kind of culminated in us merging with an electric motor company in Virginia 
And so now we have this large facility and in late summer, early fall, we're going to start manufacturing new products out of here. And so I'm really excited about kind of that journey. And what's what's kind of crazier, what you kind of talked about is that if I went back 20 or 25 years ago, I never would have predicted this. But in looking back, it makes sense. But at that point in time, I never would have thought, you know, we would be where we are. You know, one of the things you said earlier in this discussion was that you, in your first couple jobs, it was your on-the-job MBA. And there's so many people out there that I speak to that will hold themselves back or use the N apostrophe T like or N-O-T. I'm not. I didn't get that MBA. But you know what? School is good for some people, but may not be the solution for everybody. If you have unique experience, you've had an opportunity to run a small business unit, a small business. I too (laughs) never had an MBA, but I will tell you, I am learning about economic sales and marketing (laughs) and risk management, everything else about it. So don't put yourself down. If you haven't gotten that deep education, you may already have it or on your way. So just curious, though, I want to go back to your story. So you said that during the COVID time, though, things really boomed. But how did you stay relevant and maintain some kind of leadership in this area versus maybe getting diluted by all the competition? Well, it kind of came on so fast. It's like if you weren't already in the market, you were kind of left behind. And so, you know, for us, the Javits Center in New York set up a field hospital and they, they bought our product. I don't know. I, I like to think it's because our product's great, but it, you know, if I'm being honest, I would also say there wasn't a lot of competition <laughs> at the time. And it's being in the right place at the right time. And there's a lot of luck in that. To develop a product that you've never had before, if you're doing it from scratch, it takes 12 to 18 months. And so we had a period of time in 2020 where you know any of the ones, any of the brands that were new to the market really weren't entering until 2021 or Mm -hmm. early 2022. And so we had a period of time where there just wasn't a lot of competition. You know, you just said something and made me smile, right time, right place. There are so many also new entrepreneurs out there that are just trying to keep up with the Joneses. And I realize also that there are other business advisors, there are other fractional leaders, but I said, no, I'm the drop-in CEO, so I've got nobody else to compete with. And what I'm waiting for is the fact that I'm trying to scream from the highest mountain and draw people into my world so they can ultimately say, yes, that is different and that is something we need. And who knows, this brand may May blow up. I'm certainly counting on it. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. Like both of us are on a journey just at different points in the universe. So, what I also want to do is think about growing a business. I know that, you know, for leaders like you as a CEO, these can be challenging, but it seems you have some insight about how to effectively scale a small to a medium sized business. Yeah. I mean, I think my interest is more on the marketing product development, product design side. And so I'm very close to customers. You know, to me, it's about understanding customer pain points and solving problems. It's kind of that simple, but you really have to understand the customer and you have to see things from the customer's perspective. You can't take it from this is our perspective or this is our problem and this is how we're going to kind of be narrow-minded in approaching it. You really have to have empathy and put yourself in your customer's shoes and think about what would get them excited. Because 
honestly, nobody cares about your stuff. Nobody (laughs) just have to remind myself. It's like, how do you become relevant or how do you make something remarkable? Because you want someone talking about it or promoting it and you really have to make it for them. And you have to really understand who you're making it for and why. And so it's a lot of pulling yourself out of your head and like, you know, I don't have a big ego. I'm just kind of wired that way. But like for folks that have big egos, it's like just kind of check it at the door and really really look at your customer. I think it's really not that complicated. Another great point. I'm just thinking about, you know, there's two personas that I speak to and work with. It's one, people similar to you, C-suite leaders, owners, CEOs, and there's the other demographic of those that are still coming up in their career. And when I think about checking your ego at the door, again, it is a good thing. They do have to work hard. They have to deliver the results. But sometimes that ego or the drive to deliver results gets in their way and it's their demise because like you said, ultimately they're providing maybe a service or report or a procedure or a process or something to an internal customer. So you got to know what they need and make sure you service them. And at the same time, if you're customer facing, you have to put yourself in that that frame of mind. And I know too, I was wondering why weren't people like buying my products or services in the beginning? But as soon as I got very clear about, oh, the C-suite leader, they're feeling some pain. Things are changing. The old playbook doesn't work anymore. I started feeling that persona. And I think every time I connect with them, it's just we connect. (laughs) And hence, they realize that, oh, okay, I need the drop in CEO or business partner. So I love that point about checking your ego and ultimately understanding it's the customer's pain, not you and what you do. (laughs) But you're growing. You're growing. And so I'm just curious, though, when as an organization is growing and it sounds like you've got multi-locations, how do you maintain work performance? Because I found sometimes leaders, as things grow, you lose a connectivity to the people. And sometimes over time, the performance gets diluted and you don't necessarily get the same results. So what are some practices that you have had done that helps either the individuals or the organizations improve work performance? Yeah. So for us, one of the challenges is we've got probably half our people at our factory in Virginia, and then we've got a number of marketing, customer service, and some inside sales people spread across the country who are not here. And so I always have to remind myself that they're not here for those like water cooler conversations or like what, you know, you pass someone in the hall. And so communication is really the key to it all. And so we use like programs like Slack and create groups and kind of share as much as we can through that. We do a lot of like video meetings and just communicate and communicate and put things in writing. (laughs) That way it's clear and there's no misunderstanding, but it is a challenge because people that, if you have a small group of people and they're not here or many of them are just working out of their homes, I mean, they are at a disadvantage and I'm very, very aware of that and try and do my best to keep everybody on the same page. But it's honestly a challenge. And I, and I think a lot of companies probably face that. And if if they're not aware of it, they're just kind of in the dark. But I know the folks that, that are remote, you know, there's there's a lot of advantages to remote. And, you know, I work remote one day a week just to, you know, not, <laughs> not have to drive in. And But it's it really just comes down to, I think, communication and awareness for where people are and checking in with people. You know, this um, brings up a thought that I had, and I often will be brought into a company when they're in a state of crisis. And I once answered a question, you know, what is crisis management? And I said, it's the lack of leadership 
to continually assess risk. And so if a leadership organization is not periodically, quarterly, monthly, or maybe annually looking at business risk, then sometimes we might look at supply chain, we might look at IT or infrastructure, but we could, to your point, put communication, internal communication as a risk to your organization because at some point people not know the story the origin story and why you even exist. They're not going to remember or know of the stories during the pandemic when you realize great success and great strife. (laughs) And people are going to lose that. And over time, you lose that culture. I have one colleague who is trying to help doing internal podcasting for a company such that you can do those recordings, record the State of the Union, record interviews with senior leaders, and then that legacy maintains. And so when new people come on, you've preserved some of that culture, some of those values and things like that. So I, I appreciate the fact that you're trying to find all different communication channels such that we We can maintain your company culture and connectiveness as you grow. So a watch out, but it sounds like you have it in hand. I wanted to take a moment to remind you that a recent study showed nearly 60% of leaders feel depleted at the end of the day. And this feeling is a key indicator of burnout and makes it difficult to lead and inspire others. If you've ever experienced that restless exhaustion, you know why CEOs are amongst the most likely candidates for experiencing job frustration. I wrote The CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track, to confront those feelings and create a plan that is sustainable for you and your organization. I created a seven-point assessment that will help you figure out your problems in days, not months. And it includes so many resources, worksheets, videos, and much, much more. If this is you, please head over to my website, dropinceo.com, and click on my products, The CEO's Compass, and order yours on Amazon or other outlets. And now, back to the conversation. So your leadership, you are not very, very loud. (laughs) You're very just, as a matter of fact, I mean, I'm just curious about your leadership traits? Are they the right leadership traits as compared to others? I think that, you know, if I were to describe you, you're kind of (laughs) humble. You don't shout too loud, but you find that these are, I guess, the leadership traits that you need for your organization. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I'm just who I am. I mean, that's how I'm wired. I know I'm not typical for folks that are leaders and kind of ascribe to what Steve Jobs would say is the best idea should win. You know, it doesn't matter who the most senior person is. It doesn't matter who's the loudest voice. We go off of data and we go off of the best ideas and it is what it is. And so even though I'm I'm not this high ego, I guess, you know, I I know a lot of CEOs and they're wired completely different than me, but I'm just as competitive as they are. It just doesn't come across. I think part of it is I'm also being autistic. You just don't see it. And it's not that feel things. (laughs) it just doesn't get expressed in the same way. And so that's always been a challenge for me, but it's, I kind of try and use it to my advantage, come up with new creative ways to do things. And, you know, that's worked really well for me. I'm not the mold of like who you would hire into like a hired gun into a bigger company. I would never be hired into a bigger company. And many of the other autistic folks that I know that run companies started them and built them. Because we're just, if you look at traditional hiring processes and 
you know, how what people value in typically is like we don't check a lot of those boxes. But the interesting thing is you and I've been having a conversation. You've been looking me straight in the eye. You listen attentively. You respond in kind. We are building a relationship here. And I never, ever would have gleaned that there were any anything that would prevent us from building a relationship and having a professional conversation. I am curious, though, you brought it up, <laughs> even though I had it in your bio. <laughs> Have you had challenges that you've had to overcome relative to running a company and or are there any opportunities that come with this particular area where labeled as autism? I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, for me, the challenge that I have, and I think it's pretty typical for a lot of autistic folks, is we're not always great in the moment. And if something comes up that we've never been asked before, we want to give the best answer. And, and oftentimes it takes us longer to really come up with that answer. And so we kind of appear like we're, <laughs> can be checked out or it's almost like the next day, it's like, I got the perfect answer for you. But in that meeting, I didn't, like, I didn't know what to say because I'm still thinking through things. But that's okay. That's what engineers do. <laughs> yeah. We all do yeah. That. I'm more of like a bottoms up thinker. So I think through a lot of different scenarios and trying to come up with the best one versus like, boom, here's the answer. And this is what we're going to do. I just want to kind of think it through from a lot of different perspectives. And so I think ultimately you get better answers. It's just the time horizon. And so it's only an issue of somebody has an expectation that you're going to answer more quickly. But everybody here knows who I am and how I am, and it's cool. You know, we have have a lot of engineers, and so they're they're pretty similar in some ways. But conversely, how has it helped you? Have there been any advantages to being this kind of thinker and how you approach the world? Yeah, it helps me immensely. I'm hyper-focused. We took a, I I don't know if I should say the name of the company, but we have like a, it's not a personality test, but it's like a trait almost assessment that you could take that we use to screen for certain positions and it, you know, grates you on different scales. And one of them is focus and I'm, you know, top 1% for focus, you know, the opposite of focus is a multitasker. So like you would not want me being a multitasker, but if you want someone to sit and focus on something, I could sit for hours and get so engrossed in something that I lose track of time. You know, it could be one thirty, two o'clock and it's like, oh, I haven't even had lunch yet. And but I can produce so much work in this. It's, to me, it's like being in the zone, and so I can just be so productive, even though I'm just singularly focused. And and it's not something uh, I've met a lot of autistic people who like that's one of the traits. But if you're not autistic, like you kind of don't have it to that extreme. It's just just off the charts focus. And that's a good thing. I mean, obviously, if you're the leader, you need to be a deep thinker. You have to think things through because ultimately, at the end of the day, you need to bring things forth and lead the team. I And I, I will just relate to that. I will tell you, I get completely in flow if I give myself the time, the space, and get rid of the clutter and all the noise of all the other things that I have to do and set aside that time, make sure I'm rested, I can focus and create amazing things. If I got too much on my plate and I am not disciplined, I am all over the place and I will procrastinate and probably not do very well. (laughs) So focus, a huge, huge attribute. So thank you. I want to come back to your business a little bit because you touched upon this and I think this is valuable for leaders that are struggling with what's the best business model. And you talk about one of the things that you like talking about is how to reshore and optimize your supply chain. I just want to understand 
why this is important and how have you gone about this? Yeah, so we merged with an electric motor company. They have a new proprietary electric motor technology, which is in part allowing us to reshore. Reuters and Consumer Reports have both done studies on consumers and found that 70 to 80% of consumers prefer American-made products, but very few want to pay any kind of premium. And so that's what we've been working on the last couple of years is, well, how do we make something here that, that works better than the imports, but doesn't cost any more? And so that's what we figured out how to do. And so I'm really excited about it because we're in such a crowded space now. You need a, I don't know, unique selling proposition or you need to connect with your customers. And so now we have a story around making products in an environmentally sustainable way. If the product has a problem, we can fix it and send it back to you. It never ends up in the landfill. We pay people oh, wow. a living wage. We can show you how we're making the products. We have all kinds of transparency. Like you're never going to get that from a Chinese factory, which is where almost all of our competitors are from. And with our, our technology, we could make really better products that are solving some of the pain points that customers have that no one solved before. And so I'm just so excited. And we and have a platform to not just do air purifiers, but really we can make anything with an electric motor if we wanted to. And, and if you think about, <laughs> got my experience in the 90s and early 2000s in the computer industry, I think the electrification, moving from fossil fuels to electric, we're right in the center of that with the electric motors that we have. And so there's so much that we can do beyond just air purifiers. Longer term, I don't see us being an air purifier company, but an electric motor technology company. Oh, wow. There is so much in that. <laughs> no, no, what's really cool is that the question that I asked you was about reshoring and optimizing the supply chain. And that's a topic that's important for your business, your internal business. How are we going to be profitable? How are we going to be agile in being able to service our customers and having all the parts we need when we need it? But when you came back to me, you repackaged and reframed the message in a way that would resonate with customers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're more sustainable. You're more agile. Your lead times are shorter. Oh, that's interesting to me. Sustainable, et cetera. So those were messages. And so in the meantime, you can kind of slip in there. It might cost a little bit more, but you're going to get your product on time and with purpose. And we're not going to hurt the environment at the same time. I love what you've done because you put it in the mindset and the frame of the customer, not your internal needs. Yeah. In fact, it doesn't, it's not going to cost more. It's, you know, if anything, we're trying to be lower priced. I mean, we're trying to be really aggressive. And the other thing, I this is like the bankers and financial people like it is like, if you manufacture in China, it takes 30 to 60 days to manufacture and then another 60 days on the boat to get here. Like, and, and you're, you're buying finished goods and it's a lot of cash. And so with what we're going to do is, you know, we're mostly sourcing from local suppliers. And so we're sourcing components, which have, you know, you're working with American companies, you can have extended payment terms. And so we're really going to be able to build things just in time and sell it to the customer before we're having to even pay for the components. And the components cost a lot less than the finished goods. So from a cash flow standpoint, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> it makes really, really good business sense. Yeah. 
So just one last question before we start bringing it to a close. You obviously are trying to realize growth in your company, but you want to expand your business beyond North America. What are some of the challenges and benefits of doing that? Because, yeah, sometimes people think it's scary and they'll say, I'm just going to play small. But what, what are the challenges or benefits for you? Yeah, I mean, right now our focus is the U.S. market, but I, longer term, I see us going, you know, we, we sell in Canada, but I see us doing more in Europe. The challenges are, in general, it's, you know, a certain extent cultural, it's distribution. It's easy to sell in the U.S. because <laughs> we understand it. That you know, I would say most of our focus is going to be in the U.S. If you look at the data, I don't know what this says about us, but like Europe has, EU has similar number of people as the U.S., but the U.S. spends about two and a half times more in consumer spending than you. Like, we're just so good consumers. <laughs> like, like when I, I we have a, a colleague that really wants us to start selling in India. And he's like, well, these people have all this money. And I'm like, well, that's a problem because they're not spending it on stuff. They're saving it. Like, they're not consumers. Like, we are the ultimate consumer and so after us, it's the EU, and that's kind of where I see us going maybe later this year or next year. But it is a little bit tricky with distribution and figuring out taxes and you know all kinds of stuff. It's just kind of get a little bit of a headache thinking about, but it, it can be done, but it, it just takes a little bit more work. So you're a deep thinker. Hopefully you get some sleep, though, in between. <laughs> but I will ask you one more question. Like, what keeps you up at night? Are the, What are the things that you continue to struggle with or seeing opportunities that you haven't yet resolved? What keeps you up at night? Yeah, I'm part of being hyper-focused. I think along with it comes a high amount of patience. So I'm not really, and honestly say what I'm really stressed about. I just really like where we're going. I know that there's more opportunities than we can handle and that's fine. We're just going to do like a small number of things that we can do really well. Like we don't have to do everything. I've kind of I think a lot in life is about setting proper expectations because I think if you have so high expectations, you're only going to be disappointed. And so I try and keep it realistic. I know we've got like a huge amount of potential and we probably could raise a ton of money and, and go crazy, but I don't really want like to have to answer to someone that's <laughs> like a private equity firm and be managed by them. And so I think just having the autonomy that, that, that we have is just so amazing that it, it's kind of asking a lot to give that up. And so I'm already there. And so I honestly, am not, you know, stressed about much of anything. And, you know, and part of it's about routines and exercise and eating well. And, you know, and if all those things are in place, then I can handle kind of bumps along the way. That's probably one of the best things that you've said, because I've been on the same journey. If I can keep this body going, so I've been investing in my <laughs> wellness and only investing in my platform, my work, my reach, because I have to worry about everybody else, it starts stressing me out and I don't need mm -hmm. that. And I often tell people, if you have a lofty goal, cut it or break it down into bite-sized pieces and just do one thing each day, knowing that you're progressing towards whatever that goal is. We can always be bigger, we could be making more money, but sometimes living life under less stress is probably the more purposeful work we should be doing. Yeah. Great interview, and I am so happy I've had a chance to learn a little bit more about your story and you share your thoughts with my audience. Are there any last thoughts or things that you want to share with our audience before we bring it to a close? 
Yeah, I would just say kind of on the theme of patience is I think if if you're in your 20s or 30s, you're you're really young and you have a long way, you have decades and decades to work. So you, you don't have to crush it in this year or next year, like can take longer to play out. And <laughs> what do you need to be happy? I think is really important questions because if you're going to commit to doing something, like who wants to be miserable doing it? Like, and how can you make it so you're your best self. And that's kind of kind of where I am and in, in some of the decisions that I make. And then it's about having expectations that things are going to take longer and cost more than you think. And you just have to be able to accept that, that this kind of just the way it is. On that note, those were great words of wisdom, not just for the young people listening, but all of us to have patience, do what makes you happy. There are many, many years to work and also hopefully live our lives purposely. So Peter, I just want to say thank you so much for dropping in on the podcast. And I just want to say, I wish you well and continue success. Yeah, thanks, Deb. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who will find it useful and inspiring. When you share this podcast, it allows me to continue to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow to navigate their challenges with confidence. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.